1: Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mix Club page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com.
0: Hello, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing just
1: fine. I've just been working with John Otway on Twisted Oliver, which is a twist on Oliver's twist. So Oliver is the bad boy, and Fagin is the guardian angel. Wow. We're twisting it around. That's why it's called Oliver's twist, although I wanted to call it Twisted Oliver. But Michael Infante at One Media IP felt that Oliver's twist would be more catchable on the Google.
0: Oh, right. You're quite good with um, twisting words on the old Google to trick people into thinking they're something else. Could you tell uh, the lovely people at Soho Radio about your wonderful uh, Doors compilation CD?
1: I did it once. (laughs) It was called The Doors (laughs) Slamming Hits.
0: And what was it? Actually,
1: it was The Doors 50 Slamming Hits.
0: And what was inside the CD? Or when you played it on your disc player, what was it? The sound
1: of 50 doors slamming. I don't do things like that anymore.
0: But it is ingenious. It is very the that is, ki- the very ki- good at twisting the word into a different the king, meaning. The
1: king's speech did rather well.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I remember that one. We put a king on it doing a speech. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was the pub you were just in before this one? It was the White Horse
1: many, many moons ago when I was working with Johnny Marr, Andy Rourke, Craig Gannon and Simon Wosoncroft doing freak party, Morrissey popped up the stairs and did a gig with somebody called Eileen, a friend of a, f- a friend called Andy right who is a erogable love
0: erogable love <laughs> and uh, did you no, have you, Did you work with Morrissey before that or did you just see him and pass him? I
1: never worked with Morrissey because I worked with the pre-Smiths band called Freak Party, which was actually just Andy Rourke, R.I.P., Simon Wollstonecraft, yes, the original, original drummer, drummer the and Johnny Marr, right. and it was the Smiths' Lost Tapes. Simon Wollstonecraft found it in an old flight case... What I didn't realise you were part of this Mm. was that I put Craig Gannon on it when we sort of re-recorded it or rebooted it and I didn't realise that there had been a lawsuit and Andy and Craig had allegedly sued Morrissey for quite a lot, including Mike Joyce. Now, Mike Joyce appeared on the Interstellar record with Craig and you of course mixed it and I believe that you may have ghosted a certain bass player. Can we hey, change uh, the subject let's, let's now? not
0: now? Yeah, let's not get into that. I mean, the, I could get Sue Sue. By the way, that means sued. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, that was, a, that was the Interstellar record. A very acidy record. But you don't partake in any psychedelics. You're quite uh, you're quite Clean in that regard, nothing. You, very much you've got so. because you've got enough of a creative thing going on. Because I don't know anyone quite like anyone like you to write lyrics as quickly as you do, or to conjure up characters. You've, we've worked together in many audio books, um, which is why you're you're now uh, fronting the Blockheads, formerly known as Ian Jury and the Blockheads, and you're probably a very wonderful fit due to this um, ability of quick conjuring up of. Characters, lyrics, uh, um, environments, so and so. Well, it's also you know, and the, improvising it's it also at the same time.
1: The understanding of the catalogue, because Ian Jury and Chaz Jankel were able to conjure up characters from a parallel universe. Characters like Clever Trevor, Billericki, Dicky Plasto, Patricia, the in-betweenies the itinerant child and everything is based with the blockheads and the jury Jankel songbook on real characters that one can identify with but as I mentioned before a heightened reality and what you have is a very curious mix of dub, reggae, jazz, funk and good old-fashioned old-time music hall. I mean, you mm. couldn't get more music hall than Ricky Dicky. Mm. But when you get to something like Sink My Boat, you've got almost a rocky new wave feel. But again, it was about conjuring up lyrical imagery. And Chaz Jankel once said that The Blockheads was a catalogue for the disenfranchised and that would of course have originated from the mind of Ian Dury who was a prolific songwriter and when I took over this job it wasn't really about doing an impersonation Derek Woodrow was before me and he was brilliant and he almost had a Robert Wyatt soft machine feel But there has to be a nod and a wink towards the way the lyrics were delivered, the syntax, the backstory, the subplot of each song, because there is quite a lot of theatricality. But as Mick Gallagher has pointed out to me quite a lot, because I was a little bit overstated in my original performances, one can almost... Vocalizing. I was overstated, overexcited, nervous energy. But one could almost sing What a Waste or Reasons to Be Cheerful from the corner of the mouth and let the comedic lyrics and the sardonic approach speak for yeah. itself.
0: Sure. And that's testament to really good writing. It right? is.
1: And each album took on a different style. The first album was just called Ian Jury, but there was a track on it about Essex Boys called Blockheads, and that's where the name was derived, and the second album, Do It Yourself, which was a smash, went to number two, was produced by Chaz Janko, and that's where the thunk element came in, and it opens with a a really, really interesting track called "In Is. I found that quite hard to learn because it wasn't straight 4-4 and it almost had a, a jazz funk element. But each album took on a different style. The album Laughter had a track called I Want To Be Straight which almost reminded me of Napoleon X, Kim Fowley... They're coming to take me away, ha which is almost vaudevillian, if you think about it. But a lot of the songs, If I Was With A Woman, I Want To Be Straight, Itinerant Child, a lot of these songs, the in between, is particularly, are very relevant, I think, to what's going on today. And I really do believe that if this group was a new band coming into the fore, it would be relevant, and it doesn't ever sound dated. I mean, Mr. Love Pants, a latter-day album with the track "Itinerant Child, yeah. was originally about a swampy-type character, people travelling around in the van, very reminiscent of the road crew from The Levelers. It's very relevant to today's sort of
0: post-rave
1: culture almost. Right.
0: Um, with the the eclecticism stylistically wise with the blockheads, do you think that has something to do with London and the amount of diversity there? I think like dub so. Records, listening to Motown, listening to I'm not sure what jazz was like in the 70s, but what the jazz scene was. I like think the 70s, so but because
1: it came from the Stiff Records roster. And there was a huge Stiff Records tour with Elvis Costello and Nick Lowe and I think Madness and people like that. And indeed, people think that it's a huge community, of the music industry, but even though the Blockheads weren't New Wave, they were celebrated within the New Wave community and People like Lee Thompson, for instance, from Madness, still gets up and does his version of Clever Trevor. Now, that is a Music Hall character. That's a character that a lot of people can identify with. Mm. Uh, Every single one of those songs has a pertinence and a resonance with people of yesteryear and people of today because they were devised in this parallel universe and the parallel universe that Chaz Jankel and Ian Jury conjured up is not of its time it's actually timeless and I noticed that all the concerts have a very very different age group we've right, got okay. the older people and the younger people obviously some of them are the children and the grandchildren, but I have noticed a sort of student contingency Mm. that are really interested in the words. And I I found the same with Marquis Smith because I was dealing with another poet, Mm. you know, and, of course, John Otway, another poet of comedic Mm. proportions. But it's it's not slapstick comedy. Some of it is a little bit... Mari Lloyd's Stanley Baxter, Billy Ricky Dicky's an absolute belter of a a knees-up tune. But then you've got very complex songs, such as Itinerant Child with great guitar weaving between John Turnbull and Chaz Jankel. And then, of course, you've got Dave Lewis on sax. We've got a great bass player, and Nathan King is tremendous. He's also the guitar player for Level 42, and John Roberts is the engine room of the band. The bass player is the magnificent Nathan King, who does this... Nathan King from Level 42? ...is the guitar player from Level 42, but Ah. the bass player for the Blockheads.
0: Yeah. Ah, I see what you mean, right, because that's what confused me. Right, okay, so the guitarist for Level 42 is playing the bass in the Blockheads. Yeah. And yeah the, he, but he's fantastic, I saw him. Yeah, so he's,
1: yeah. He's, he's very funk-driven. Yeah. but when He it, must
0: be a fantastic musician if he's also the guitar player for yeah. Level 42. But
1: when it comes into something like Blockheads or Blackmail Man, which he recently performed with Keith Allen, he can go very new wave and be very raucous and then he can bring it right down and be very subtle yeah. and as the group dips dave lewis comes in with these magnificent saxophonic pieces and he's played of course with people like john martin and many more mm. so i'm very lucky because my Renault 4 it's parked in front of a rolls royce if you like
0: yeah <laughs> What was it like for you personally having this uh, quite a big transition in your life when you were predominantly, well, ever since I know you've never performed, I know you're a performer, but you've always been in the studio, you've always been a writer and producer. So what's it like now, almost like another chapter in your life, back on stage? Did you ever think that well, you would be back on stage? Did you? Did, are you enjoying that new I have been
1: in many, many bands. I know that, course, I know that. I've been a side performer for The Fall, and I've been an actor.
0: You you were also a T-boy for Elton John once upon a time, weren't you? Or you were a fluffer. I think you were a fluffer for... Uh... I was
1: a T-boy at Trojan <laughs> Records, <laughs> aspiring to the punk label where I worked with Polystyrene right. and The Fall, Sham 69. Yeah. There was always... A punk ethos inside me, but ironically, my favourite bands are people like Thunkadelic. I love Miles Davis. I like Earth, Wind and Fire. I Old like a lot stuff. of like a lot of glam rock.
0: Oh, I know that. T Rex, yeah.
1: Slade, yeah. Sweet, New York Dolls.
0: You told me not to tell anyone that you liked uh, glam rock. You said, Shh, "Don't tell anyone I like glam rock, otherwise they won't think I'm punk."
1: Well, when I did my first Blockheads concert, I had a glam rock denim jacket celebrating all of those groups. But I've toned it down because my first show with the group was after my audition, which was one and a half days. And we were due to start a tour on the 2nd of October. And John Roberts called me and said... How do you fancy playing the Winter Gardens in Blackpool at Rebellion Festival next week? Mm. And I thought about it, and I really didn't want to do it because I felt under-rehearsed. But I, I think that jumping in the deep end is better than jumping in the shallow end because the shallow end is for shallow people. But <laughs> I, I won't lie to you. You know,
0: it, it, Yeah, it's like I always say, jump off the plane, jump out of the plane and build yeah. the parachute. I just said ball. I won't
1: lie to you, and usually when people say that, they are going to tell a lie. So I'll tell a quick... Oh, right. It,
0: it's, like, it's like when people say, hey, I'm a nice guy, me. I'm a nice guy. Yeah. Usually people who aren't nice people say, need to uh, reiterate that they're nice guys. So
1: I'll tell <laughs> the lie now. Yeah, you do that. Um, I've got two heads... And three testicles. I've got my lie out it's of the true, way.
0: It's true. But
1: arriving at the Winter Gardens and forgetting to go to the stage door and I see all these people with blockheads T-shirts saying, are you here to see the new singer? I was totally under-rehearsed and I was learning a lot from YouTube just because the blockheads are so busy. And, of course, I had big boots to fill and although all the reviews have been good, there were people that had a shadow of doubt and I understood that and cutting my teeth with the likes of Mick Gallagher, who of of course worked with The Clash and was with The Animals at 17, I had people to turn to and I have to say Chaz Jankel was fantastic. Mick Gallagher, who sort of runs the business side as well, became a mentor to me, not just in the delivery of the song, but he would take me out for a Chinese and show me a performance of Ian Jury performing What A Waste. And he wasn't saying, I want you to do it like that. But he was saying, derive something from what this song is about subscribe to the meter and the syntax and tracks like Clever Trevor the middle eight almost in iambic pentameters there are no fault stops there are no commas and there is a rapidity and even in the couplets of reasons to be cheerful the amount of syllables packed into each line are almost in the field of grime music I listen to quite a bit of that mm. and it's like having to listen to Mick do my own thing but also doff my hat to what Ian Joy was doing is not as easy as it sounds but as I say if you let those amazing words work for you and you know that the words are amazing that's Eighty percent of the job done, but it's the realization of that, and I was quite maniacal at first, and I was overtly leaning towards the high octane pub rock, yeah, 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 and the and the the the, the punk yeah, side yeah, of yeah, it, yeah, yeah. and now with tracks like "Wake Up and Make Love," which have a a sexual connotation, again, leaning towards British comedy. You know, I mean, Ian Joy, I think, liked things like Laurel and Hardy and all the great musical artists. I would imagine Stanley Baxter and people like that. And Kilburn and the High Roads were out there on the road with... Eddie and the Hot Rods, the Kurzel Flyers. But he was the king of the pub rock scene. Dr. Feelgood, of course, were up there. And Wilco Johnson was a member of the Blockheads. I believe it was the Laughter album. And took it into a slightly different direction. Then Mr. Lovepants came back in about 1996. Chaz was back. And you had that classic sound, not from the original album... New Boots and Panties, which was not credited as blockheads, but more from the classic Do-It-Yourself album, which crashed in at number two and did astronomical sales. And that's where the sort of funk, I think, really started to kick in. But then you've got your B-sides, like Clever Bastards, and references to Einstein, Noel Coward, Van Gogh. Ian Jory was a very well-read man and, of course, a brilliant painter. And I think he was all about applying the oil to the canvas. And Chaz Jankel, as a brilliant producer, would not only co-write, but help choose that frame and Hang it on the wall. And I think that that's why longevity is with the blockheads. And I'm very surprised, but every time we do a show, we sell out. We've got this amazing merch guy, Rich Mm. and Sy, and there are hoodies and there are beanie caps. I saw them, I've got my very own jacket that people are wanting to purchase. And I'm quite chuffed about that, really. But it really is a case of just being a little bit thick skinned treating it as an acting job I've, I've been on the West End stage for quite a long time and I'm the guy always pacing around I'm the nervous guy
0: Have you got imposter syndrome, Mike? Are you okay?
1: Um, I don't know what that is, but I'm I'm going to claim it anyway. I'm going to look it up and put it on my my gargantuan list of mental deformities.
0: Sorry, I didn't mean to be condescending. By the way, that means talking down to someone.
1: Oh, does it? Okay, I'll look that up, the word condescending. It's got more than two syllables, so I don't understand it.
0: Can we go back to your uh, childhood a bit? Sure. Um, you've had a very interesting childhood. Didn't you run away to the circus at 16?
1: I ran away with a Greek cabaret group. Amazing. I grew a... Can you talk I, about I that? I grew a moustache. <laughs> I ran away. I told them I was 16 when I was 13, and I was singing, ta and never on a Sunday, until the police caught up with me, brought me home. I had this uh, walrus moustache, which was a stick on but I couldn't understand why they were throwing plates I thought it was because I didn't like my work when well, I found out that's what they do at Greek weddings yeah
0: it's, it's a good sign you yeah were, you, were, you were killing us let's just say I
1: had a smashing time and move swiftly on please <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay next one and then you went to uh university and you studied drama
1: and science
0: Drama and science.
1: I indeed. not indeed. know that. I've
0: known you for quite some time. I, I did know three
1: that. years at Richmond Drama School and then I joined the BBC as a writer. And you, I, you,
0: what about the science bit? You didn't, you I know,
1: created... What type of science? I went to Oxford University and created six... Sorry, eight demonstrations for the mathematics children's syllabus. But this was all about teaching teachers on BBC2 Primary Science to teach science in a creative way so I created a character called Belinda Box that spoke about the cube taught about the cube, Sybil the centipede, that spoke about the century, Captain Zero the the power of the naught and the circumference and then I created eight demonstrations for the astronomy curriculum so I became a member of the Oxford Union and I say that that gave me the ability to be an orator and being a baker in the morning gave me the ability to get up in the morning and wake up and make love with me.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And what age were you then?
1: Well, I started at 18 and then had six years. Oh, this is after. But during that process of time, of course, being at drama school, one would come across... The likes of Toya Wilcox and... Who was in at the and same O'Connor. Time? No, she was at Birmingham Rep. Oh, okay. And she was at Birmingham Drama School. But I was always in bands. But we could never get record deals. And Toya Wilcox said to me one day, I'll tell you what, we're not happening. Why don't you produce the records and instead of going to the A&R departments who are turning us down... All the labels turned us down. We started to make our own content, our own artwork. We did the A and R thing ourselves. What, what are the first two letters in the word asshole? Mm, arsehole?
0: Arsehole, uh, A and R. That's oh, absolutely right. right. Yeah.
1: So I had to be the arsehole that did that as well.
0: See, this is like... Pre oh well, I suppose DIY. It's been going on for a while, but it was very much a DIY Well,
1: affair. I mean, we li- ended up licensing to BMG, yeah. And I, but to I, get it
0: off the ground, it was DIY because at the was time, very
1: much DIY. Yeah. We 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 were recording in bedrooms and in cellars and stuff like that. But then we'd go to a place called Far Heath Studios, which Toya discovered, and we knocked out. I think, two albums and about three singles. But then it sort of progressed to bad manners. And my own band got picked up by Kim Fowley, of all people, who was, of course, the guy that said, give peace a chance at the beginning of the Plasticono John Lennon band, give peace a chance. And then he went on to work with Gigi Allen and and all those sort of like filthy bands created the Runaways, he was a a, a, a mercurial maverick. Yes. And yeah. I gleaned from him, he split my band up. Jay Stapley ended up with the Roger Waters Band and swayed They all joined famous bands apart from me. I ended up producing or co-producing Kim Fowley's solo albums for Creation Records and Trojan, respectively, who, ironically, were at number one and two, Pratt Muse in Canada. How
0: does a producer have a co-producer? If if he's the producer, then he surely... He's like, oh, I've got this covered. Why do I need someone else?
1: I think that if you are making a solo album, I think that you always need somebody from the outside looking in. And also, he's sort of had me running around doing things for
0: T-boying. him T-bagging. well
1: he had a thing called a dream cupboard and he listened to other people's demos and say what about doing it a bit like that and he had a lot of big fans like teenage fan club BMX bandits and I would be part of the organization getting him to Glasgow getting him to factory records to do the space monkeys but of course, as I was doing so, I was learning little tricks.
0: Yeah, right from him.
1: Absolutely, yeah. poaching them from him.
0: Yeah, and now, and now here you are, and other people are organising trains for you to go to Glasgow and vice versa. That's right.
1: That's right. <laughs> um, I prefer it when we do five on the trot because all the hotels are sorted out. When I when we do it a, is better that when way. we do a one off. I'm scrambling away, organizing that, as well as perhaps learning a new track. And right now, chatting away to members of the group about new ideas, about moving forward. But the most important thing is to keep that songbook, the Jory Jenkel Mm. songbook, alive and well. And I think that some people are of their time, but the blockheads are timeless just because of the quality of the musicianship and there's no question about it each and every member of that band sing so well and I'm just like this figure, if you like in the midst of it all putting forward the front man bit but let's not forget that the reason it isn't a stereotypical, archetypical new wave band is because of the jazz fusion and the the afro stuff and the dub stuff and the funk stuff. So, really and truly, and I hate to use the word, but the front man is almost... I'm going to use that word.
0: member in the the band, right?
1: The juxtaposition. Uh, I've juxtaposition. used the word. Right. I've used the word. Just suppose I'm juxtaposing yeah. here. Yeah, it
0: wasn't. A, that uh, it was the complete opposite of what I was expecting you to say. Yeah, totally. That's a joke, by the way.
1: Absolutely.
0: Can we go to, because it is a, a significant chapter in your life, the introduction to Marky e. Smith and the Fall and how that all came to be and what, how did that affect your process as a producer? I was with
1: Jay Stapley, who I was in Hiding in the Tall Grass with every now and then, who was at that point with Suede. And had finished with the Roger Waters Bleeding Hearts band, we were writing a track called Swelter, and Marky e. Smith, who claims has no technical ability at all, managed to track me down, and a fax trickled through. Somehow, a fax. Somehow, <laughs> somehow, at Jay Stapley's home studio, saying, "Would you like to produce Cerebral Caustic by the Fall?" And it was because Marky e. Smith had heard my work, not only with Kim Fowley, but with David Van Day from Dollar. You know, a complete pop artist who he was a great fan of. And I said yes. There were no rehearsals. Here we go again. It's the same old story. The band turned up a day late. I'd not heard any demos at all. I was instructed by Mark to have no click track, but there were two drummers, Carl Burns and the inimitable Simon Wollstonecraft. And at one point, I had a click going through one drummer's headphones and not through the others. So it was a very messy album.
0: A ter- uh, was that on purpose?
1: Well, no. It was just the way it came out. Yeah. I, th- I thought I was going to get the sack the last album had gone to number eight. This went to number sixty-seven. But later, <laughs> but later on, it became. It is,
0: a, it is an avant-garde album.
1: Later on, it became a cult classic. It's a very what, avant-garde album. Yeah. When it came to the second album, I boned up and I said, "Can we have rehearsals? Could I get each writer in Bucks Music in Notting Hill and I had a two-week." period where I had all the writing and I got all the, re- the relevant clicks down, the post clicks down then we went to Dairy Studios for a month, mayhem ensued, and then Battery Studios and then ultimately Far Heath, but in between that we went from Abbey Road to Shabby Road, and then we ended up mastering it, it's not a very full thing, but we mastered it at Abbey Road because Mark used to like to do that
0: yeah and What album was this? That
1: was the light user syndrome, right? No, I don't know. Is it
0: less, uh, less avant garde than uh, less
1: avant garde, much higher in the charts, but it was called the light user syndrome. I don't know what the syndrome was, but I didn't witness many light users.
0: <laughs> how very, how very coarse, how uncouth. Well, this uh, is a very this is a PG radio show, Mike. Okay, edit that out. That's very a highly highly coarse. Um,
1: Mark allowed me to write. He was very generous. That's right. So There's lots of lyrics. Uh, Cheetham Hill yeah. about a, a, a brothel yeah. in, in Cheetham Hill. Of course, Pearl City from the other album was about shenanigans on top of a very famous Chinese restaurant.
0: Which is now closed down, right? Yes, because of what was happening upstairs. I don't
1: need no riding crop. I don't need a bird begging at my knees. You know, I mean, Mark used to come out with these lyrics and they were very often penned on beer mats. And I was once writing with him in a bar and he said, I'm not an alcoholic because look, I've got my pint on top of the table. I said, what about that double whisky under the table? He went, that don't count, cock. It's a fucking chaser.
0: <laughs> so, Mark was always writing, you were saying. It was like, because that's, I always get flabbergasted, like, you know, when you think of some writers, like, oh, you know, it's all clean living for me. And, you know, I wake up at six in the morning and I, I go for a run. And then people got people have their processes, is what I'm saying. But Mark seemed to just constantly be uh, uh, observing and then uh, button, and, uh, to paper. and
1: writing it down. And also, he knew how he wanted a song. And he used to like to work on analog tape. And he used to cut his hands with the razor blades. But right. we used to chop the tape up. If there was a drum roll, it was gone. And then he would take something from something that we'd done in rehearsal and asked me to use that as a section. So you had these varying degrees of high fidelity and low fidelity. But one thing Mark taught me, and it's true, to make a low fi record, you've got to have a high-end production to start with, and then you deconstruct.
0: Right. Yeah, for, for the... There's a word I'm looking for. Perspective.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, groups like Pavement, the Butthole Surfers, a lot of them actually yeah. took from the moniker of Marky e. Smith, and right. in fact, Fat White Family. Yeah, I can
0: hear that. I can hear that. Actually, I saw a pavement a few yeah. weeks ago in Blue Dot Festival.
1: Yeah, I mean, Fat White Family actually did a track called "I Am Marky e. Smith," which you were involved in, weren't I, you? I
0: sure was. Yeah, with the cello, violins, and mixing, and all the rest of it. Yeah, that. So, yeah, I did have did, did, my did, pop
1: did, moments, though. Banana, Rama, Toto, yeah, Quino. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know.
0: But I feel like the Marquis made things more interesting based yeah. on what it did culturally.
1: I totally. Think. I mean, he, he, he was...
0: It, it, was, it doesn't sound like a man who had, who had writer's block. Did he have writer's block? Never. Never, exactly. He was yeah. cut
1: from a different cloth. Yeah. Yeah. And if we were on a tour bus, he would make observations looking out onto the street. He could look at a crisp packet and get a song out of it. And, and, and yeah. it wasn't so much. Ian Jory was very much about syntax and meter, and it was very on the fore. Marky e. Smith was on the offbeat, but had this magnificent phrasing. Mm. And the phrasing and the attitude was as important as the lyrical content. Ian Jory was. Very precise, Yeah. in fact, yep. very precise, and of course, Ian Joy was a drummer, right, Marky e. Smith was the original guitar player in the fall, and Martin, martin brano, right Martin Brenner was the vocalist. Now they go out as house of all martin 's taken over as the, the lead vocalist again, and I think that because they are not doing fall covers. They have every right to be doing that. And I like to dispel the myth that there were 66 members of the fall. Mark would ask the receptionist at the label to come in and play a tambourine or say a word and yeah. credit them. And that would somehow marginalize and devalue the hardcore players. But the hardcore players are all embedded within house of all. I have to put Brick Smith in there as well because Mm. she was a a main player, but there were only really eight proper members of the four. Was
0: he he quite fair, Mark? If you wrote a
1: song in the back of a taxi, he would remember and credit you. And if an advance arrived, it would be shared equally. And I'll say the same about Neville Staple from the specials. Right. Uh, This sort of like, Democratic attitude not only gives you a ban for life but it also
0: instills loyalty.
1: Inst- well, yes, but that is not totally selfless. I yeah. think that Mark and Neville and people like that come from the old school where if you've done something and you've achieved something. Then you should be credited for it. Whether 66 people should be credited as members of the fall is another question.
0: Yeah, it, it it breaks up so many bands, doesn't it? Oh yeah. Like this whole the royalty, the publishing. I did this, I did that, and like there's very few bands that have stayed together. It's because they did it equal from the get go, and there was a transparency there, which is why they're still still around. Radiohead, for example, still do uh, 20%. Everywhere, even if Tom York wrote... That's
1: right. Kim Fowley used know. to say to me, I'll split it down the middle with you, 75-25. And I'd say, that's not down the middle. He goes, I'm getting pissed off. It's 85-15. <laughs> you know, this was the American school. I mean, he went back to, from Doris Day through to Kiss. And on the journey through, Alice Cooper, Nirvana, uh, The Birds... This guy was a Svengali, a cigar-chomping producer. Because you've got cigar-chomping producers who are basically clever businessmen. clever businessmen. I mean, I think Pete Waterman was a bit more Back than that. Back in the
0: day when music was lucrative. Yeah, obviously not I mean, you
1: had him. Larry Parnes, and he would have, say, look, you're called Marty Wilde, you're called Tommy Steele, you're called Billy Fury, and it was... Marketing, manufacturing, the Monk is another example. You know, Pete Waterman had his very own different version of that because he spotted that his daughter was errant from school and watching a thing called Neighbours. That was five years behind, and he had the genius idea of taking Jason Donovan's storyline and Kylie Minogue's storyline and recruiting Stock and Aitken Kim to compose songs based around that theme and recruiting the then out-of-work actors. Now, is that art or is it commerce? What do you think?
0: Can't tell. I'm undecided. I think... What do you think?
1: I think it's the art of commerce.
0: Right, yeah.
1: That's a good, that's a, that's a good one. And of course, you know, the, the word commercial comes from the word commerce. Yes. And, so. and the idea of marketing it to the gay community and having a show called The Hitman and Her. But, of course, you've got to remember that Pete Waterman came from Stiff Records. He was actually initially involved in a hardcore punk label, and he discovered the specials. So, you know, there's something about Pete Waterman that's really appealing to me, and I was drawn in to do Venus Banana Rama. I was one of 17 remixers. Let's make no bones about it. I was one of 32 remixers on Sweat, CNC Music Factory. And it's only now that I realize I was a small part of a big legacy in the sort of gay electronic club scene, which brings me neatly on to Melanie Williams, a Hacienda classical diva. But, of course, the work that I've done with her has been more on the alternative scene, and that's been sort of interesting. I've worked with you and Melanie, but I've got to say that Ding, Simon Ding Archer, who wasn't in the Pixies but played bass with the Pixies and was was with the Fall, completely gets Melanie because she's very nervous stepping outside of the box, but she was born outside of the box, and we've got some stuff with Melanie and Peter Hook coming out very soon. So, eclecticism being in the order of the day, it's kind of mixing my punk background with my limited experience in the sort of hacienda, dancey scene. But then I glean from the artist, you know, and it's like this is what I say if you've got a goal, You know what you're doing, and then you get to a point where you don't know what you're doing, just keep doing it. Just keep doing it until you get to the end. Phone a friend, you know, phone a friend, draw people in. What I am good at doing is putting teams around an artist, and I like working with a solo artist for that purpose.
0: Yes, yeah. You seem to... I think workaholic is a wrong term, but you work Monday to Sunday, but you don't really see it as work. You just, you just are, you are always doing it, and you're always thinking about it. Well, so do you do you view it as work, or because you don't like you don't take holidays? You're not someone who who's going to be a mojito in your hand and in the in the Caribbean islands, going ah now I can kick up. I think you'll always you'll always be writing and working and. Till, till, till the end I'll find I mean, an
1: excuse to go to California but as soon as I get there I'll be working
0: well exactly yeah 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 but why is that What what is it that what's, in, what's inside you that makes you keep wanting to do it because, because is it purely for the, the, the satisfaction and love that you get from it because I've got quite a
1: lot inside the minuscule but highly active chasms yes. of my mind yeah. and what I say is better out than in
0: yeah so that's it yes yeah, amazing love that um, ok we'll wrap up but um, because you're such a wordsmith I thought it'd be good to play like a game if you're up for it ok can I, can I give you a word and you could do uh, a, a riff poem on ok it. ok um, um, bucket of piss you don't have to go straight into it you can think about it
1: I walked down the road and I heard a snake
0: hiss so I
1: got my snake out into a bucket of
0: piss there you go amazing, amazing Um, Okay, Uh, one more poem and then we'll finish up Candlelight Dream You
1: are to me a candlelight dream
0: embedded
1: in the deep blue sea just like the continental girl who chooses to look after me, her name is Lynn she's over there if she doesn't listen in, I don't fucking care there you go.
0: <laughs> Mike Bennett. Okay, one more, one more, and then we we'll are go, we we'll go, we we'll go. The babbling brook. You're good at this one because you love that word. I went down the road
1: and I took a good look at the gorgeous stream. It was a babbling brook. The sun was out. The willows weep. The river chattered in its sleep. The rushes swayed from side to side and watched the babbling brook collide. There Beautiful.
0: You Thank you very much, Mike. Uh, I love you to bits. You're a wordsmith and uh, inspiration. And come and see
1: the Blockheads playing at the Jam in Birmingham imminently and look on the blockheads.com or Blockheads and Friends and you can see that we're touring right through till 2024. Amazing. I've loved being on your show, and I'm delighted that you brought this bottle of tequila. I'm now going to start. And
0: and the Bovril. You didn't mention the Bovril. The Bovril is here as well. I don't like Bovril. I'm a Marmite man. Uh, Run, run uh, as fast as you you can. can. There you go. Either love them or hate them, folks. Thanks, Mike.